Well, hey, good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, one of the pastors here. And we're starting a brand new series. We're looking at Jesus and how he understands what it's like to be human. How, how he gets us. Have you seen some of those commercials on TV? Maybe you've seen them, and maybe some of them you've seen them, and you went, wow, that's, that's really good. And others you saw, and you're like, I don't know about this. Do you feel that? Well, do you know, uh, that was kind of the experience of everyone who interacted with Jesus. Sometimes they would see him and look at him and go, oh, I, I love this guy, this is fantastic. And other times people would see him and go, I don't know about this. And what's really curious is the ones usually who saw him and loved him were the ones that the other group looked at and said, I don't know about them. (laughs) And generally it was the religious people who really should have known him that felt so uncomfortable with some of the things he said and some of the things he did. And so this morning we're going to start our series just looking at Jesus and, and looking at who he was and how he lived his life as a man and how he gets you and me. He knows what it's like to be human. And so we can truly turn to him in whatever circumstance of life we find ourselves in. So with that, let me pray. And then we're going to jump in. Sound good? Hey, really glad you're here today. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Jesus, thank you that you came, you lived a life that we failed to live. Uh, You lived with compassion and love when you first came that we failed to have often. And uh, Lord, uh, you looked at us in our weakness, in our sinfulness, as we'll see this morning in our insecurity, and you sought us out and you loved us. Help us to go and do the same. Teach us, I pray this morning. Holy Spirit, help me as I unpack your word. Help us to understand it. Speak to us wherever we're at. And uh, Lord, I pray for each of us that just we would see in Jesus uh, our only hope. And uh, help me as I teach your word. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Have you ever um, been kept up at night by somebody else's celebration? It happens in our neighborhood pretty regularly in the summer, especially around the 4th of July, and then, I don't know, at least five or six other times throughout the summer. But the week of the 4th of July, fireworks, everything going off, everybody going nuts, and you kind of expect that, right? You know why everyone's celebrating. But then there's other times where it's just really random, and all of a sudden, at about, I don't know, 10.30, 11 o'clock, boom, you hear just all of a sudden, and then it sounds like there's a war going on outside. And the sky's lighting up, and suddenly, sometimes you even hear music playing. And, and we have some neighbors that, that love to celebrate. And by neighbors, I mean sometimes people who are five, six, seven, 20 houses away. <laughs> and they celebrate, and we really don't know why. And have you ever noticed that sometimes whenever there's a celebration, and you don't know why people are celebrating, it can be a little bit annoying. Like if you know... You're like, okay, that's, I get it. But when you don't know, you're like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> Do you ever feel that? Well, in, in our text this morning, we see three different celebrations, and we see them of God having a huge celebration, and in one of them, it's really uncertain why he's celebrating, and in one of them, that same one, uh, one of the people who hears the celebration and sees it happening gets really annoyed when he doesn't know what's going on. 
Hey, if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15 with me. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to look at a handful of parables that all kind of go together into one parable. And uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to start right away in verse 1. Um, now, as we do this, I-, I want you just to pay attention to who Jesus is speaking to and then try to understand why is he telling this story? Because here's what I would say to you. I think there's, there's kind of two ways we can take this. One, we can take it as a rebuke when we don't really uh, love people the way we ought to for those of us who are followers of Jesus and celebrate those who are far from God coming to him. But for some of us, many of us, all of us at one point or another in our lives, we can look at this and understand that you know there's, there's times in life where we feel like we just don't matter. Like, does anybody really notice me? Is there anything good about me that anyone would love? And when we feel these deep uh, feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, and is that just me? Do you ever feel that? We all do. And so as we read this and look at it, uh, you might take it one or probably in some situations both ways. So let's start reading. And uh, we're going to see three parables here that Jesus tells, starting in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now notice who he's talking to. He says, uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They're all drawing near to Jesus. Do you know who the tax collectors are? They were people, I mean, pretty much all throughout time, nobody's really like tax collectors, right? Like, do you like it when you get a letter from the IRS? I don't. It freaks me out every time, even if it's just something like, hey, somebody looked up your information. Great, thank you. But nobody's really liked them. But the reason they were really despised here is because they had associated themselves with Rome. They were enemies of, who, who were total enemies of the Jewish, Jewish people. And so tax collectors, well, think of it this way. It's an election year, right? I don't know who you're voting for. But in our climate, usually people on one side look at people on the other side, they point their fingers and they go, tax collector. That's the idea. They're seeing them as somebody just totally politically and socially estranged from them. And then notice the other people who are coming to Jesus. The sinners were. The, the people who were, who were sinning and weak and insecure and doing things that we'd look at and go, oh, you've really made a mess of your life, haven't you? And then, so now, now get the picture. These are the people that maybe, probably, we might look at as kind of like, oh, they're, they're way out there, and they're going to Jesus. Eh, I don't know about this Jesus. Why is he hanging out with those people? I wouldn't hang out with those people. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes did. They grumbled. And they're like, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. What's he doing hanging out with them? You ever feel that way? You don't have to admit it, but I think we all do sometimes, don't we? We, we, we can look down at people. Or we might find ourselves in the role of the sinner and the tax collector and feel like everybody's kind of looking down on us. And we feel really insecure in that moment. Well, there's the scene. 
And in the midst of that, Jesus tells a parable. He says, what man of you, if you, uh, if you had 100 sheep, you know, if you lost one of them, wouldn't you leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Wouldn't you be happy if you found your lost sheep? Now, he might, Jesus might not tell that parable to you and I. He might tell you the parable of uh, the lost dog. Did your dog ever run away from home? And did you just leave your kids at home while you went out looking for the dog? And did you rejoice when you brought the dog home? And didn't everyone else rejoice when he came home? And you're like, no, I kind of wish my dog would run away. But that's, I mean, it, it was just common to them. It was a common story. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me. I've found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And now, uh, the rest of this line, I was reading a commentary this week, and he said, uh, read this with a smile and a question mark on the end, and I think you'll get the idea of what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees and scribes. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over a sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance? <laughs> Implying like, because you, so you, you guys don't need it, right? You got it all together. There'll be more rejoicing over the one who turns back. Well, in this first parable, even though you and I might just be a face in the crowd, we're known by God, you know? I mean, in the story, one of a hundred sheep gets lost, but the shepherd knows its name. He, he goes after it. And if we were shepherds, we would know that sheep. We would know him. They wouldn't all blend together. They might right now, but they wouldn't if we knew them. And, and God, in his mind, of the eight billion people in the world, we don't blend together in his eyes. He sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you. That's an incredible, incredible thought. And he's like, I'm, I'm with you 24-7. The details of your life are important to me, God says. And so when you stray, I'm going to chase after you because you're mine. It's really amazing to be known by God that way. Let's keep, let's keep reading this next passage, this next parable, they all, they all go together. And in each of these parables, Jesus is talking about something that got ripped apart and messed up, and then in the end it gets restored. It's, like, it's this idea of something's broken and it gets restored. Then he says, or, in the same lines, what woman, you know? First he tells a parable about a man, then he tells a parable about a woman. Having 10 silver coins... If she loses one, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, you should understand a little bit, you know, like their houses, they didn't have big, you know, big glass pane windows, you know? It was like tiny little windows, uh, maybe some kind of bars or something in them to hold it up. And so even in the middle of the day of bright sunlight, there wouldn't have been a lot of light in the house unless you lit a lamp. And so, so she starts searching for this coin that she's lost. And these 10 coins, there's a little debate, you know, it could have been, it was probably something she received uh, at her wedding. It could have been a dowry. And so it was like, this was her life savings. This was all she had was 10 coins, each of which, which 
each of which would have been worth about one day's wages. And that was her savings. Some believe, um, and I think it makes sense, that, that potentially these coins were actually worn on a necklace. See, when uh, women would get married in that day, sometimes one of the gifts was this necklace with 10 coins on it. And that necklace was like a wedding ring. And so it had financial value and it had sentimental value. And if that's the case, you understand all of a sudden why this woman is suddenly searching like crazy for this coin. You're like, go get another penny. No, that's not it. This had, uh, there was an emotional attachment to this coin for her. And so she, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and it would have been a dirt floor, like a packed dirt floor. So you can see how easily this thing might have gotten lost. And then when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, hey, rejoice with me, I found the coin that I lost. Ladies, if you're married and you have a wedding ring, you lost a stone out of it, or maybe, maybe you have, did you turn the house upside down to find it? Now you get the idea. And when you found it, were you excited? You're probably pretty relieved and excited both. And in this case, she throws a party. And Jesus says, in the same way, just so, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over just one sinner who repents. One person who repents and turns back. This is the parable of the lost coin. You know, It tells us that we're treasured. Even though the circumstances of our lives might make us feel like we're trash, don't be mistaken, you're not. You might feel trampled underfoot and unnoticed. You're not. You might look at someone and think, ah, but they're not either. They're loved, loved, and treasured by God just as they are. Now God in his love doesn't leave us where we are, does he? He changes us and his desire is that we'd repent. But Jesus' first coming, Jesus comes twice, do you know that? The second coming is coming still future and at that moment he's going to absolutely judge the world. But in his first coming and until then, do you know how we're sent? We're sent like his first coming to love the world. And that's what Jesus does because he loves us. And we're kind of like that coin that can't be found. At times kicked on, stepped on, thrown to the side. Even if your circumstances might feel and seem and even be pathetic, you're loved by God. Absolutely loved. Let's look at the next parable. We've seen God searching for us as the man searching for the sheep, as the woman searching for the coin. You know, sometimes that, those parables, we think of ourselves as the shepherd searching or as the woman searching. No, no, that man searching and that woman searching are God in those parables. Let's look at the third one. And then uh, he said, uh, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. He kind of telling his dad, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance? He was really kind of wishing that on his dad. I mean, that would have been pretty offensive. But his dad, uh, he divided his property between them. And then not many days later, 
The younger son gathered everything he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and yet here I am, I'm perishing with hunger, I'm starving to death. This is crazy, when he came to his senses. So I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to my father, and I'll say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. He, He was really repentant here, wasn't he? He changed his mind, he came to his senses, and now he's returning. Then look at verse 20. And he got up, he rose, and he came to his father. I wonder what he was thinking on his way. Oh man, what's dad going to say to me? I was really a jerk to him. I wasted it all. But look what happens. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, this was pretty undignified for a man in that day and age, you know, to hike up his, basically, skirt. I mean, because of the clothes they would have worn, the kind of that robe thing, and, and just runs to him and hugs him. You ever seen an old man run? It's not pretty. And this guy just takes off and runs and and hugs him because of his love for him. He embraced him and he kissed him and the son started in. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, hey, go get the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. And uh, bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. There's a big party. He's like, this is my son. He was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. (coughs) And they began to celebrate. And I think it was a loud party. Do you know why? Because of the next verse. In the next verse, look what happens. His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He's thinking, what are these people doing? This is really annoying. I'm trying to sleep. (laughs) You know, kind of like we might in the middle of the night. He's like, what is going on? He He doesn't know the reason for the celebration, so he's rather annoyed. And he gets more annoyed when he finds out why they're celebrating. And so he called the servants and asked them what these things meant. What's going on? And he said to him, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. In this parable, remember who Jesus is talking to? The religious people. And they were criticizing him for hanging out with the unreligious people. And Jesus is drawing the inference here that 
they're the older son. And that the, the sinners and tax collectors are the younger son who's come back. See, he was angry, refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. He, but he answered his father. He said, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Wonder, does anybody come to your mind? Maybe a specific person or a type of people. And you would think, you, you killed the fattened calf for them? Boy, sometimes we're a lot like that older brother, aren't we? And we're a lot like the Pharisees and the scribes. But look how gentle the father is with him and how gentle God is with us. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead. And he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. This third parable of the lost son, we, we learn even though we're so spiritually broken, we're still loved by God. Every one of us. And in this one, we see the son, he's gone off, he's left his father, he's deeply offended him, he squandered half of his father's estate, his money, he lived crazy in the city. But in the parable, this son, who's hurt his dad so bad, comes home wondering if he could just find a job. And his father runs to him, picks him up, embraces him, kisses him, throws a party, You know, even though we spit in God's face sometimes by how we live, he, his grace leads, leads us to love him because he loves us first. We're still broken. We're still sinners. We've done really stupid things, but the amazing truth is God still loves us. Now, having unpacked those three parables and this idea that something was broken and brought back together and made whole and that God celebrated. What does it mean for us? I think it helps us understand that Jesus in telling these stories and even in the way he lived among people who are incredibly broken, it tells us that Jesus gets insecurity. He knows what it's like to feel overlooked he knows what it's like to feel lost. The reality is he knows that at times we all feel insecure. And apart from Christ, we are all insecure. We just are. Now, what's insecurity? Might, you know, beg that question a little bit here. Kind of flesh that out. Insecurity is... Uh, it's a state of uncertainty, right? It's like self-doubt. It's a lack of confidence in yourself or in your abilities. Um, sometimes it involves feelings of inadequacy, maybe a fear of rejection, maybe um, this persistent sense that I just don't <laughs> measure up. Maybe you're joining us and watching online because you feel like, ah, 
I'd like to go, but I feel like I don't measure up. Trust me, you measure up. We'd love for you to be here. But do you ever feel that? I think we all do. And so sometimes it makes us more sensitive to people maybe feeling like they're judging us or critical of us. And sometimes we compensate for that. Sometimes we try really, really hard to make people like us. I think Jesus saw that in people for sure. Sometimes uh, we, get, we overcompensate by being super confident in an area where we feel insecure. And so sometimes insecurity even comes out as anger. times we all feel insecure. We're like that sheep. We're like that coin. Sometimes we've, we've run away. And we're like that son. But there's just days where we feel lost and overlooked, you know? But here's the truth of God's word. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 46. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Because sometimes we even feel forgotten by God. <laughs> But in this case, uh, this metaphor, it's speaking of, of God as a nursing mother, can, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I, God says, will not forget you. He sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And even if you feel insecure and lost and overlooked, you're not. You're not. And sometimes, like I mentioned, like the older son or the younger son, sometimes in our sin we're just hiding and we're afraid. We're afraid to come back to God. We're afraid to admit our failure. We're afraid of what other people might think and what other people might say. We're afraid that we might be like the one we actually say we despise. You know, um, that hiding and afraid piece, this has gone on since really the beginning of creation. In Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, right? He put them in the garden, gave them one rule, don't eat from the tree. They ate from the tree, and then what'd they do? They went and hid. The eyes of both were opened, and they, they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were hiding and afraid. Sometimes our insecurity is just because we're hiding. Or it's why we're hiding, I mean, excuse me. We're afraid of really coming to God. You don't need to be afraid. You know, it reminds me of a guy named Martin. Martin was born in uh, Eiselben, near Berlin, to Margaret and Hans Luther, which is how they would have pronounced Luther, Martin Luther. And um, he was raised uh, in Mansfeld, Germany, where his father worked in the copper mines, and Hans sent his son Martin to school. And uh, when he was only 13 years old, he went to the university to study. And he graduated in as short a time as possible with both his bachelor's degree and his master's degree. Incredibly fast, but he hated every minute of it. <laughs> Luther wrote this about his time in 
school, he's like, uh, we had to wake up every day at 4 a.m. for a day of rote learning and often wearying spiritual exercises. He just, he just kind of hated it. He had some other choice words. Martin had a, a pretty colorful vocabulary that I won't repeat here of some things he said about uh, his time at school. But then after getting that master's degree, uh, he wanted to honor his dad's wishes, so he enrolled in law school. But he dropped out almost immediately. Because Luther was looking for some assurances in life. He was a little bit unsure of the future and uncertain. You might say insecure. He kind of felt lost, he felt alone. He writes about these things and he wanted assurances about life and so he started studying theology and philosophy. He was interested in Aristotle but even that left him empty. And then in 1505, his life took a dramatic turn. He was 21 years old and he was coming back through a severe thunderstorm when a bolt of lightning struck the ground near him. <laughs> he, he wrote, I screamed, help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. <laughs> and he took that seriously and he became a monk and he was a really good one. Um, he fulfilled that vow, he gave away all his possessions, he became a monk and he was looking for meaning and security in his life. And even though he was so successful, he plunged into prayer, fasting, all kinds of things, he just... He just always felt like something was missing. At, at one point, he started reading, and he read this in Romans 1.17. For in it, the righteousness of God, speaking of the gospel, is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this word righteous really struck him, that the righteous will live by faith. He, he, he writes, I hated that word, the righteousness of God. That, that, that I've been taught about by all my teachers, that, that God is righteous and he punishes the unrighteous sinner. Luther said, I, I couldn't live by faith because I wasn't righteous. He knew it. Well, later he uh, was assigned to, to work on his doctorate at Wittenberg University and he was lecturing on the Psalms and Book of Romans when God revealed some things to him in his study. He said, at last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the rightness of God, all of that value, all of that worth, is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. Luther felt so insecure and so, uh, so much that he had to hide from God because of God's righteousness and his sinfulness. And then suddenly he realized the truth of the gospel that no, that righteousness is actually a gift that's given to me and I can have confidence just to live before him. And it was a cure in many ways for his insecurities. He understood that while all of us feel insecure, God seeks us. He seeks you out like the shepherd looking for the sheep, like the woman looking for the coin, like the father running out to the rebellious son. God seeks you and me. And, and, and in seeking us, he does it because he knows us. He knows us and so we can, can turn to him and return to him. You know, sometimes we feel insecure because I feel like, oh, I don't know the purpose of my life. I feel like I'm drifting. I just don't know what I'm here for. I don't know why I, fill in the blank, right? 
We just have so much uncertainty. And yet, uh, it's weird that we don't go to God to receive that identity from him and know why he made us. I was looking and I found a drawing of my son Charlie that he drew when he was three. And he gave it to me. I said, this is fantastic, thank you. What is it? Could you tell me what it is? Because I don't have a clue. You know, I mean, none of you could either, could you? It looks like scribbles. Kind of worthless. Crumple it up, throw it in the trash. But no, not to him. Well, Dad, this is, this is the grass, this is a tree, it's a sunny day. It was either this one or this one was me. I don't remember. I think it's the one on the left. It looks a little more like me. But who spoke meaning into that drawing? The one who created it. We should go to our creator then to search for meaning and draw others toward their creator to find meaning and security and worth. Because he does know us. He understands us. The Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest in Jesus who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't need to be afraid to go to him. He knows what it's like. In every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Psalm 139 is a great psalm speaking of God's knowledge of us. God, you've searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before words on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it. Later, surely I, I say, you know, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night. If I feel lost and overlooked, if I'm hiding and afraid, even in the darkness, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as a light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, and the implication here is that even when I hide on my own too, I'm not hidden from you. Your eyes saw even my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. He tells the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He sees you too and me. And he sees your insecurity. The psalmist says, you've kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He knows us and not only does he know us, friends, he pursues us. I mean, Jesus in his first coming, that's why he came. Do you remember like after leading up to his death and resurrection and even after the disciples were like, hey, when are you gonna set up your kingdom and judge the world? That's gonna be awesome. Jesus is like, ah, that's not why I've come this first time. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Like the shepherd, like the woman, like the father. 
And the ones he's seeking are you and me. He loves you. It's curious, you know, we talked about Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. And after they hid, God comes walking through the garden. I wonder what's his first response to them going to be? Surely anger. Lots of wrath, right? No, we see him looking. He called to him and he said, hey, where are you? Where'd you guys go? Maybe he's saying that to you. Where are you? Where'd you go? He pursues us, he he loves us, he seeks us because of our unspeakable worth to him. So friends, my encouragement to you as we wrap up, when you find yourselves in moments of insecurity or when you find yourselves like the tax collectors and the, or not the tax collectors, the Pharisees and the scribes Jesus was talking to, just go to him. Go to him. Cast your anxieties on him. He cares about you. Peter even said, Lord, who else would we go to? You have got the words of eternal life. To go to him, remember what Jesus said in the parables, like especially in the one of the, the coin? He said, I tell you, there's more joy in heaven before there's joy in heaven before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, who turns to him. That's that's what repentance is. It's it's recognizing I'm going the wrong way. It's changing my mind. And it's turning around to go the other way. That's repentance. Because friends, you should do that because you are loved. Listen, I say this a lot. And you'll hear me say this a lot. And I say it because God's word says it over and over and over and over and over again. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your intellect, no matter your age, no matter your sexuality, you are loved and you matter to God. And he longs for you to run back to him. And he will be the cure of your insecurity. Amen? Let me pray. We're gonna sing call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus.